Jerry has blessed us with not one or two or three, but four scripture readings this morning. <clears throat> the first uh, is from Exodus chapter 19, verses 3 through 6. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Then in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Then in Romans, chapter 7, verses 15 through 24. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And finally, today's gospel reading uh, is from Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 27. Uh, please stand if you're able for the reading of the gospel. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Or what can you give in exchange for your soul? 
For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward everyone according to what they have done. The word of the Lord. As Carol said at the beginning of the service, uh, this morning we continue our series on fasting with the theme of this morning, Growing in Holiness. Huh. Well, uh, I began fasting in January, once a week. Uh, I did so after our Sabbath practices, which, if you recall, one of the suggestions they made about how to live Sabbath all week long was to practice fasting uh, once a week. So I, I started that. Now, the reason uh, it took me until January uh, to get started is that I, I didn't want to fast. I mean, uh, this sermon is about growing in holiness by fasting. Well, I'll tell you, the only thing I was growing in during those months of fasting after January was I was growing in hangry. I was finding myself hangry all the time. Well, this is going to be a good sermon, isn't it? Holiness? Yeah. I hope... Uh, Andrew's not uh, disappointed that he asked me to preach. Uh, so to recap real quickly, uh, Andrew started our series last week uh, emphasizing that fasting was a way for us to offer our whole selves to Jesus. This week, it's how fasting helps us grow in holiness. Uh, next week, uh, it will be, oh yeah, uh, how it helps us prayer and our prayers, uh, amplifies our prayers. And then we'll end with fasting helps us stand with the poor. Okay, uh, this morning, I'm going to uh, talk of what I've learned uh, recently, uh, these past few days as I've prepared for this sermon, uh, how fasting helps us understand the unity of the body, helps us in the holiness in the body, and gives power for the body. So unity of the body, holiness, in the body and power for the body. So, what was going on in my body when I was fasting these last four months, or since January anyway, and I've learned that my body went through three distinct physiological stages. Didn't know this. Stage one uh, is during the first four hours uh, of fasting. Um, and for me, uh, my uh, fasting started at dinner time. Uh, the day before I fasted. Um, so uh, th during that time, in the first four hours, my body was using the food in my stomach and processing uh, by burning uh, glucose. The second stage uh, begins and presses into the 16th hours uh, after the fast. And for me, that was about 10 in the morning during my fast day. And that's when my body begins to burn fat. Oh. The physiological stage of ketosis. Uh, then the third stage begins about 24 hours in your fast. And for me, that was about uh, 6 p.m. on my fast day in the evening. And it lasted from then until the next morning uh, when I broke my fast by breakfast. Uh, that's where the word comes from. Anyway, 
And uh, during that stage, uh, the body enters into what is called autophagy. Isn't that interesting? You know what that stands for? Auto, self, fatigy, eat. Self-eating. Okay, that's when my body uh, begins to burn what doctors call zombie cells. Oh, cool. Uh, the damaged cellular material that causes things like cancer, aging, chronic disease, uh, so to regenerate uh, new and fresh cells. Uh, I'm told that as a result of the body's uh, internal processes, uh, there are all sorts of benefits uh, to fasting. It can cleanse your body. It can reduce toxins uh, in your body, increase your metabolism, reduce your weight. You can even lower your insulin levels, inflammation, and blood pressure. And you can strengthen your immune system, reduce your heart rate, and I love this one, slow aging. Okay. Uh, if I can uh, even protect against and possibly reverse many diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular uh, disease, and a range of neurological diseases, including Alzheimer's. Who knew? Well, as a matter of fact, doctors for years have been saying the health benefits of fasting. But while we fast, it can be good for our health. Uh, we, as followers of Christ, fast for spiritual discipline. The ultimate aim is not to lose weight or to cleanse, but rather, as Andrew pointed out last week, Find a way to offer our whole selves to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not that spiritual disciplines and health practices are unrelated. I'm not suggesting at all uh, the bogus idea that there's a sacred secular split in the universe between the material and the immaterial, or between the physical and the spiritual. In fact, I'm speaking and saying just the opposite, that good spiritual practices and good health practices are integrally connected. Well, that's where I had it wrong when I fasted. I was approaching it as a process of physical starvation instead of a spiritual practice for sanctification. Until Andrew's sermon, I was pulling apart how I felt in my body with how I was feeling about my spirituality. Let's face it. I was unable, in the words of Kurt Thompson, to pay attention to what I was paying attention to. My mind was so distracted by the growling in my stomach that I failed to pay attention to what the Spirit of God was doing to my spirit through my stomach. I simply couldn't connect the two until last week. So, I've restarted fasting. Uh, this time, Wednesdays and Fridays, as Andrew told us, the ancient church did that for centuries. And I'm kind of excited to see what's going to happen. And uh, by the way, why don't you check in with me at the end of this series and to see how it's going. Well, I, I, I do know this. 
that it will not be going well if I continue to believe that there's this disconnect between my spiritual health and my physical health. Yes, the way fasting seems to work has certainly discerned and strengthened my understanding of the unity of the body. So, what's fasting got to do with holiness? <laughs> well, uh, Pope Benedict put it this way. Fasting certainly brings benefits to physical well-being. But for believers, it is, in the first place, a therapy to heal all that prevents them from conformity to God's will. In other words, fasting is a way to grow in holiness. Now, I know holiness is kind of a sketchy and sometimes loaded word, but I've discovered that the word holiness is actually shorthand for grabbing a hold of the biblical idea of wholeness. What health is to the body, holiness is to the soul. And by the soul, remember, we mean the whole person. John Mark Comer has helped me see that in the same way that fasting is to your body, a way for purifying and purging the body of those zombie cells that are killing you, so too fasting is your soul's way of purifying and purging your whole person of the self-defeating cycle of sin and shame. In the language of scripture, fasting becomes a way to sanctify your soul, that is, your whole person. Set your whole person apart as holy, that is, to rededicate yourself to God and to God's purposes. You know, the great spiritual leaders of the church, St. Augustine, St. Leo the Great, who was Bishop of Rome in the fifth century, and many more, have always spoken of and witnessed to the power of fasting to find holiness. This past week, I can't say I've experienced many aspects of growing in holiness, but I've certainly experienced one of them. The area of pride. You see, one of the reasons I stopped fasting at Easter was that I really didn't know why I was doing it, other than to prove myself I could do something hard and to demonstrate to others that I was a devoted follower of Jesus. Holy Toledo. I mean, that's pride. That's all about pride. Of course, the heaven-filled irony of that, having my eyes opened to my pride, was the fruit of fasting itself. Even when I was doing it for all the wrong reasons, even when I was not doing it as a way to offer my whole self to Jesus. I think this is why pretty much all of our great faithful forebears of the church have believed that without fasting, it's almost impossible reach a high level of holiness. Most of them practice fasting regularly, some really intensely. It seems the church has long believed that regular fasting is a way to experience holiness in the body. Oh, 
But can fasting help our bodies have the power to grow in holiness? Well, if you remember from last week, Andrew pointed out that Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a home for God. You remember that Matt read this morning about what Paul said in Romans 7, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Well, that's how I felt when I was fasting. I wanted to fast because it was a good thing for Jesus' followers to do. And yet, I find I was doing it out of pride and for public show, which I hate. So, I can really agree with Paul when he says in Romans 7, verse 18, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And then he says, starting at verse 22, For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death, this body that is subject to death? Yes, I think this is uh, precisely the frustration that made me mad when I was fasting. I'm guessing we all have felt this kind of thing around issues of sin in our own lives. What we want to do, we don't do. And what we don't want to do, we end up doing. It's not only when fasting uh, that I get stuck in this self-defeating cycle, and I suspect I'm not alone. But I had to learn, and I think we all need to remember, that this cycle has to do with our body. Paul calls it a body of death. Okay, come on, Paul. What is it? Is our body a temple to the Holy Spirit? Or is it a body of death? We all know the answer, don't we? It's both. In Paul's way of thinking, in our body, in our soul, our person as a whole, we have spirit. The meaning a part of us that is home for God where my spirit, your spirit, is one with God's spirit. And we have a part of us that is infected with a fatal disease called sin. The word that Paul uses for this warped part of our whole person is the flesh, or sarx in Greek. In the NIV, sarx is translated sinful nature. In other translations, flesh or self-indulgence. Here's something interesting. Notice how Paul, in verse 18, makes sure that his readers understand that he is not complaining about his body, but about Sark's, his sinful nature, the flesh. Paul uses Sark's to refer to the sinful state in which we human beings find ourselves, subject to a power in opposition to the work of the Spirit. Paul, as a good Jew, sees persons as whole. 
But there is a part of us, a portion of us, that is Sark's, the flesh. We cannot separate the material from the immaterial, the physical from the spiritual in our body. You see, Sark's or the flesh or self-indulgence has to do with the whole person, our soul, our whole person. And the instinctive drive in our body, it's for things like food, sleep, sex, self-preservation, and instant gratification that have overpowered our will and bent our hearts away from love and in on ourselves. But it's also the immaterial drives for desire for security, for safety, for affection, for esteem, for power, for control. Now, not, not all bad, but all of them are often disordered. That's what Augustine called the flesh, or sarks. He called it our disordered selves. Like Tim Keller calls sin our disordered loves. Here's the point. Our fight is not against the body. Our fight is for the body. Our fight is against the flesh or our sinful desires. So, where do we find the power to fight for the body? We know that the call upon us as followers of Jesus is to take up our cross. Let's take another look at Matthew 6 that Matt read for us this morning, beginning at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. The thing to notice is that Jesus is talking about crucifixion, about dying. We want to follow him. We got to die. Now, verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The next thing to note is that the English words life in verse 25 and soul in verse 26 in this passage are the same, same Greek word. Pufuke. Pufuke is the thing that refers to the vital breath of life, to the human soul or human person or soul life. It's like in Genesis 2. And Adam, that is the Greek word for humanity, became a living soul. We don't so much have a soul as we are a soul. So Jesus is calling us as a disciple to follow him by offering him our whole selves, our soul. And to do so requires, in Paul's way of speaking, crucifying the flesh. Now look how Paul in Galatians 5 compares the Spirit's rule with that of the flesh. Notice the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, etc. Self-control. And now what he says. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The flesh passions and desires, the spirit, love, peace, joy. So 
What are we to do with the flesh that lurks in our bodies to deform and disorder our lives? We're to crucify it. Kill it. And in case we haven't got the message yet, Paul says in Corinthians 3, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. There's sarks again. And what is sarks? The flesh? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. We are to put to death our flesh, not our bodies. Rather, we are put to death that earthly nature that keeps us from doing what we want to do and drives us to do what we hate doing. We're not to coddle it, not to make excuses for it, not to justify it. We're to nail it to the cross. How are we supposed to do that? Ever tried just telling yourself, I'm not going to sin anymore. Ah, I wake up in the morning. Okay, no more lust from now on. Now, how's that working for you? Paul goes on to write in Romans 8, verse 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to the flesh, not to Sark's, to live according to it. For if you live according to Sark's, the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. What I hear him saying to me is, listen, Jerry, you cannot use the flesh to defeat the flesh. Willpower is not enough. You need the power of the Spirit. Uh, you know, my willpower is great when it comes to small things, like taking that second sleeve of cookies from the Girl Scouts. Yeah, but when it comes to greater things, like addictions linked to my, bo my body image issues, or to anger, angry outbursts, linked to my childhood trauma. Willpower doesn't have a chance. As disciples, as apprentices, if you will, of Jesus, we need to find a way to draw on the same power that Jesus drew on, the power of God's Spirit, in order to live and to love like Jesus. How do we do that? How do we access power for the body? Well, one way I'm learning is through the practices of Jesus. These are the spiritual disciplines that we're exploring here at WCF. And I'm beginning to discover that fasting can be one of the best disciplines to draw on the power of God to transform the whole person, my soul, my whole self. Fasting is a way to feed your spirit and to starve your flesh. It's a way for me to access power for my body. This past week, I returned to the practice of fasting. I don't know how long, of course, I'll be able to keep at it, but I'm already sensing I'm on some pathways to power for the body. I'm seeing four things happening as I fast. A waning, a revealing, a reordering 
and, and empowering. First, I'm feeling I'm being weaned off of what psychologists call the pleasure principle. This is the driving motivation of the immature, those who psychologists say are motivated to do things because it feels so good. They say this once served uh, to appear in children and especially junior hires. You remember those days? But now it seems to be becoming a sort of a new normal for more of us of whatever age. You remember Debbie Boone's song, I'm Dating Myself? Perhaps you've heard it. You light up my life. And then she ends with this great phrase, it can't be wrong if it feels so good. Yeah, that's where our culture by and large is today. But we all know through our lived experience that the things that feel good now sometimes lead to disasters down the road. And things that really are not so much fun right now have dividends for years down the road. What I'm saying is through fasting, I'm beginning to see more of myself move beyond the pleasure principle. I'm learning more about what to do, how to do the right thing, even when it's hard. How to enjoy my grandkids, to love them better, even when they are not doing what I want. Fasting has helped me to go deeper and being content, even satisfied. And I don't get what I want when Jeannie just doesn't get it. Happy Mother's Day. It's, it's, really, it's really kind of amazing, actually. I find myself increasingly free of anger and anxiety, and instead actually a bit more peaceful, even able to laugh, no matter what's blowing up in my face. Second, I'm beginning to see what Richard Foster says in Celebration of Discipline. Quote, fasting reveals the things that control us. <laughs> Boy, you got that right. Fasting is teaching me so much about myself, about my unhealthy relationship to food, to my body, to how weak I am in confronting sin, how much I seem to need pleasure to be satisfied, how far I am from God. Really, rather painfully humbling. But as all this ugly stuff comes to the surface, given the chance, Offer it to Jesus and to be set free. Fasting, I'm learning, is about freedom. Third, fasting is beginning to reorder my desires. This is kind of fun. I think it's probably one of the best things that is happening for me. My desires for lust or esteem or to hold on to bitterness go down. As my desires for kindness, to be compassionate, even to purity, go up. In short, I'm finding myself in certain places of my life wanting less of sin and more of Jesus. God is at work deep in my person, in my soul, deep in my person, to do the power, through the power of the Spirit, to do what my willpower 
cannot possibly do. Now, friends, how cool is that? And this leads me to the fresh realization number four, that fasting is drawn on the power of God to overcome sin. Fasting is a discipline, and like a good habit, it's a way of increasing my willpower muscle. I find myself getting stronger in self-control, saying no to bad things that I want, and self-discipline, saying yes to good things that I'd rather not have. You know, discipline, like fasting, it's a pathway to freedom. The practices are how we simply do what we can do, open our mind and our body to God so that the Spirit of God can do what we cannot do, break the chains of sin in a way that brings your whole person, my whole person, my soul, back to self-mastery. Because fasting ultimately is about drawing energy from the Holy Spirit, connecting to the power of the living God to give power to my body. As we come to God and give Jesus our weakness, the Spirit comes to us and gives us strength. Perhaps you could summarize all that I've said here by this. Fasting is a way to turn your body from an enemy into an ally in your fight against the flesh. As I end, let's remember Andrew's main point from last week. The ultimate aim of fasting is Jesus himself. Yes, it's to grow in holiness, that is wholeness, to open our whole lives to the Spirit and let God form us into the persons of love and gratitude and goodness. But even more so, it's what the ancients called union with God. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To see God is the soul's true ache, the whole human person's true longing to see, to look at, to behold the beauty of God. I have to remember, God is a person, not an equation. Fasting, therefore, is not a formula to achieve holiness. But like it or not, there is a reciprocal relationship between my level of holiness and my vision of God. So I wonder, how badly do I really want to see God? Again, none of us have to fast. It's not commanded by Jesus or any of the New Testament writers. It was assumed that Jesus' followers fasted, and pretty much all the giants of our faith have practiced it. It's not only rewarding, but also essential. So I have now come to believe that in the same way that there is no substitute for healthy eating and regular exercise for my body to flourish, I now believe that there is no substitute for fasting and a life of self-denial for my soul, for my whole person to flourish. So I'm betting if I want to grow in holiness, I truly desire to see God in a way I've never seen him before, then it's far better for me to practice fasting. How about you? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, seal into our hearts and lives that which you want us to remember 
Jesus, thank you. In your name we pray.